Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and this is The Great America Show. We're talking today with the executive editor of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan. And we'll be talking about American politics as they've never been before. A White House filled to overflowing with manic leftists who don't care how radical, how wrong their ideas are. They and their boss are all hell-bent on driving America into the Marxist abyss. President Biden's approval ratings are in the ditch and show no signs whatsoever of recovering. Biden has screwed up, it seems, everything his administration touches or even talks about touching. Biden appears intent on trying to get America into war with Russia, talking regime change and then denying what everyone heard him say, including Mr. Putin. That after Biden intimated that a minor incursion could possibly be acceptable to his administration. America's European allies are none too thrilled with Mr. Biden and his salty attitude and reckless bravado. Biden staying hard left and trying this week to drag the country along with him into his culture wars. The president endorsed sex change surgery and hormone therapy for children. For children, I repeat, for children. This president is out of control. His agenda is a disaster. The American people oppose him on nearly every issue that he's driving. And by a large margin, they say the country is headed in the wrong direction. And you would think our entire population were transgender. A top Disney executive said she wants to see half of the studio's movie characters be gay or underrepresented. Here is a sample of headlines over the past 24 hours. Headline, Disney employees slams company's opposition to Florida's parental rights bill. Headline. Remember, parents are not entitled to know their kids' identities. That was an actual headline. A school district ordering no parent knowledge of identity discussions with their own children in the classroom. Headline, HHS becomes the first federal agency to fly trans pride flag. Whoever knew that the federal government was authorized to fly such flags? Headline, U.S. State Department says people will be able to select X marker and gender section on U.S. passports. That starts, by the way, April 11th. And it doesn't matter what your birth gender was. You can always mark an X. The corporate news media is crazed, it seems, and committed to daily coverage of gays and of late the transgender craze. This headline from Corporate Media Today about the corporate media. Caitlyn Jenner joins Fox News as contributor. And a word to those editors, there is other news. A war in Ukraine, the Russians invaded it 36 days ago, and they appeared to be locked in a stalemate with a stubborn resistance that has defied Putin and his generals 
who thought they'd easily take Ukraine. The Ukrainian military has been steadfast in their defense of their homeland, and Putin is said to be as angry with his generals as he is with Ukraine and its valiant stand against his forces. Headline, Putin threatens to turn off Europe's gas supplies tomorrow if countries refuse to pay in rubles. Headline, Xi Jinping encourages the world to embrace Taliban. Headline, House Republicans ask Biden administration why it's not sanctioning North Korea and China. That because after North Korea fired a ballistic missile, they were in violation of the longstanding congressional sanctions. There is obviously a massive divide between our government and the American people, between globalist elites and our middle class and those who aspire to it. There is also a great alignment among big government, big corporate media, big tech, big social media, Wall Street and big business, the oligarchs, of course, and the Marxist Dems, all aligned together against the American people, against working men and women and their families and small business. And two political parties this year contesting in the all-important midterm elections. That'll be in just seven months. And with us to take up these issues, to give us his sense of how this election is going and how it will play out, is the executive editor and co-founder of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan. Tom, it is great to have you with us here on The Great America Show. Give us, if you will, to begin uh, your view of where we are uh, in the tension between these two political parties. Well, I mean, obviously we are a very divided country more deeply than I think we've ever been. We've become sort of very tribal. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, that goes back, you know, Pew has done some research on this uh, going all the way back to, you know, the mid nineties. Uh, we've seen this sort of great sorting that's taking place within uh, the country, but it's really accelerated. It accelerated I think, uh, particularly during Obama and then followed by Trump, and now even into the Biden administration. I mean, you look at a guy like Joe Biden, who for, <clears throat> excuse me, for, you know, the long uh, career that he had inside Washington as being, you know, this sort of guy who's a affable and works across the aisle. He was known as sort of a blowhard, but but a likable one, and 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 even now. Uh, Joe Biden has is deeply, deeply divisive. When you look at the the his poll numbers, his job approval rating, um, he gets very low marks among Republicans right from the start, which is essentially what happened to Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump got eight percent of the Democratic vote in 2016, and his job approval rating among Democrats for the entirety of his tenure in office was below, you know, eight to 10%, maybe 12% at most. But even when he, even when Trump did things that Democrats agreed with on trade, for example, mm -hmm. uh, they would give him no credit whatsoever because it was all about his, his style, his personality, what he represented. And Biden is uh, very much the, the mirror image for Republicans. And uh, so that just goes to show you when a guy like Joe Biden, who's, who's been known as sort of being not controversial, not, uh, you know, uh, not a particularly divisive figure ascends to the highest office in the land and is is suddenly seen as a deeply divisive figure. That gives you a sense of just how 
hard in the, the partisan lines are, the tribal lines are in our country. Yeah, the, the tribal lines, as you put it, uh, are, are vivid. Uh, and I wonder how much of it is ideology. I wonder how much of it is uh, just partisan politics. Uh, and if you will, highly intentional. Uh, that is, it, divisiveness has become a weapon uh, of the left, I think, primarily. Uh, and the politics of personal destruction, writ large, uh, when we talk about the presidency, the vice presidency, uh, and our, our national government, it is, it is a, a different culture altogether than it was, uh, say, really more than 30 years ago. I, I, I agree with that. And I do think and part of this has to do with, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, politics has become our national religion, and and it has seeped into everything. It used to be, uh, you know, politics was confined to a certain area, and we could have differing opinions on things uh, with our with our uh, fellow citizens without looking at them and thinking they were bad or evil. Right. Uh, that's no longer the case, right? And whether it's and it's and it's everywhere, whether we turn to sports or entertainment or wherever. Um, and, and it has become whether if you disagree, particularly now, uh, with someone on the left, I mean, just look anywhere, whether it's, you know, what's going on in Florida with the, uh, the, the bill that Ron DeSantis just signed, which the Democrats called the don't say gay bill, um, which was parental rights, which Uh, is exactly parental rights, um, you know, climate change, uh, I mean, you name it. Uh, certainly, you, know, you talk about CRT or any of these things, and it is not just, uh, it's, it's not the same conversation that we were having 30 years ago. It's not, I disagree with that because of X, Y, and Z. And uh, now it's, you know, you are, if you disagree with the, the, the left's view in particular, and, and a lot of times that has to do with the way the media plays along and, and frames these issues, you are, you are an evil person, you are a bigot, you are someone who should be canceled or who should be suppressed, uh, should not be heard from. And, and so it has become, everywhere we turn, um, politics has become this, this sort of uh, blood sport, which, which has the, um, all the hallmarks of, of being a religion. And, and that is a problem. I mean, it is, it is really, um, I'm not sure that w- that's what the founders intended or wanted at all, but that's where we find ourselves. And it's, it's hard to see how we get out of this. It's hard to see how this changes. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that it does, which is unfortunate. I, I agree with you. I, and I think it doesn't, uh, we, we don't get out of it uh, without a reckoning, if you will, an accounting. Uh, and that's going to be a very, very difficult uh, point uh, in our political lives in this country, because it does mean that people have to make choices and, uh, and decide what values do prevail. Uh, and and it, to me, at least, is unquestionable, and I want to hear what you think. It's unquestionable that the left uh, primarily uh, fits over that template uh, of uh, religion, uh, ideology as religion. Uh, in fact, uh, Marxism is precisely that, uh, even as it uh, intends to destroy religion. And the left has absorbed now a, a, a Marxist ideology uh, that is uh, really heretofore uh, been at the at the extremes, and now it has moved uh, sort of center and forward. Uh, 
in the Democratic Party, don't you think? Yes, I think that is true. I mean, again, <clears throat> you know, if you look at uh, taking the, the the Marxist piece out of just look at the two parties. I mean, there's it's it's again go back to Pew. They've mm -hmm. done research on this that that the, the median Democrat, uh, you know, now is is way to the left of the median Democrat from from 25 years ago based right. on their their votes in Congress. The same has happened for Republicans. They're much more conservative now. There are no. There are no blue dog Democrats. There are no sort of moderate. I mean, there are a couple moderate Republicans, Susan Collins, you know, but but very mm -hmm. few and far between. So the center has not held. Um, and and so you can say both parties have have moved to their extremes. But I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think right now the energy um on the the progressive left and and some of these people are openly socialists or marxists whatever you want to call them um they have they have captured the party to a to a large degree even though they may not represent a majority within that party but they are the ones who are driving a lot of um a lot of the energy and policies within that and you just i mean look at defund the police look at some of these other things that have gone on. And Joe Biden, though, he ran as the, the sort of opposite of that, the antidote to that. You remember his line, he said, you know, he's an evolution, not a revolution, meaning, you know, he, this, he was the, he was the, the uh, you know, he was the stalwart that was going to protect the party from Bernie Sanders and, and his socialist revolution. Biden has not, by and large, stood up to that wing of his party uh, at any point during his first year in office, and even when he's been given very easy opportunities to do so. And, and I think that just gives you a sense of, of and, and part of this too is dictated by the fact that, you know, the, the margins in Congress are so small uh, in the House and the Senate for Democrats that to do anything, get anything done, um, they need, you know, they need all the votes they can get. And, and for that reason, uh, I think he hasn't been able to, to stand up to some of the some of the more, uh, you know, worst impulses of the the left wing of his party. Yeah, and those worst impulses, I think, again, you're exactly correct. Uh, but those impulses are driven as if the margins were wide and vast and commanding and, uh, and without a question, a mandate. There's that word. Uh, there's no mandate in those margins, and they are they're governing, they being the Democrats, uh, in desperation uh, to move a far left agenda through a, uh, a, a center left party. Uh, and I agree with you, the center has certainly not held uh, in, in the Democratic Party, and one could argue the same of, of the Republicans. But this is, a, this is creating a friction uh, and a conflict all of its own the manner in which we're being governed and the desperation to drive through uh, this far left agenda. And, and we are seeing a reaction in, in American society to it. Well, I think that's right. And look, this is, this is commonly true uh, of, of anybody who wins an election, right? They think that they've won a mandate even when, and they misread what the public wanted. And that is certainly true of Joe Biden. I mean, you can argue that the reason that he was elected was because of the fatigue with Donald Trump and four years of the chaos. And Biden was seen as sort of a return to normalcy. Um, 
but to your point, he somehow convinced himself and his advisors convinced themselves and him that he was this historic FDR figure and that he was, this was the moment to push through, uh, you know, this quote unquote transformative agenda. Um, but to do it with, you know, a 50-50 Senate and a couple of, couple of seats in the House, I mean, it's, it was doomed from the start. Um, and once Biden made that decision, that you know he was he was heading down a path from which he has not recovered he hasn't there has been no reset there has been no adjustment there has been no uh you know moment where he's he's sat back and heard what the public said in even in the virginia new jersey elections of last year even as we look at the the landscape right now where his job approval is where the generic congressional ballot is um, they they do not seem to uh, to be willing or able to change course, and I think that bodes very ill for for the Democrats. Um, you know, we're seven months away from the election, uh, and and unless something ch- changes rather dramatically, um, they're in for a, a, an historic drubbing. And that is, you know, it is becoming so clear to me because I'm used to Republicans saying in off-year elections, as you know, the, uh, the party out of power in the White House uh, does well. Uh, and, and the Republicans were initially saying, uh, as I listened to them, you know, we, we feel very confident, but we don't want to say too much, and we want to be constrained, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, with seven months, as you say, to election day, uh, they're talking about wipeouts. They're talking about waves. <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a, uh, a a journey for them over the last really sixty to ninety days. Uh, that's remarkable to behold. Uh, they are very confident of the result in November. They are, um, and they have reason to be. If you look at some of the metrics uh, everywhere you look, it, it's. It's sort of doom and gloom for Democrats. However, I will say, I mean, <laughs> having done this now for 20 something years, you know, every every cycle Republicans manage to uh, to, you know, shoot themselves in the foot and at least one Senate race, maybe two. Uh, there are races out there that they should easily win that they may not win, depending on what happens in the primary. You go back to Sharon Angle in Nevada, or Christine O'Donnell in Delaware. Uh, you know, the race in Missouri against Claire McCaskill, uh, Todd Aiken, uh, the race in, in um, Murdoch, I think it was in Indiana. So the landscape is, is littered with, with uh, easy wins that Republicans managed to screw up. And I suspect there are, are one or two out there this cycle as well. That being said, um, you know, I mentioned Biden's job approval rating, which is, you know, just in really bad territory. I mean, he's at 41%, which is his low thus far in our real clear politics average was 39.8. So he's, he's near his all time low. Um, You know, the Republicans are leading in the, in the generic congressional ballot by three and a half points at this point in 2010, uh, just to give you a point of reference, I think Republicans were up about one and a half, 1.7 points in the generic congressional ballot and Obama's job approval rating was 47 and a half points. And they still, you know, Democrats lost 63 House seats and six Senate seats uh, in, in that cycle. So, you know, they could be, again, unless things change. The problem is for, for the Democrats and for the administration in particular, 
is that, and, and it's been this way for, for a few, I would say a couple, at least a couple of months, if not longer, is they're, they're just not in touch with the priorities of the American people. I mean, it's very clear that the priority, and we see this in poll after poll after poll, it is the economy, it is inflation, um, it is jobs. And, and people are very worried about that. And for good reason, they're paying more for gas, they're paying more for food, uh, as opposed to some of these you know, theoretical policy issues about tax cuts and deficits. I mean, they're living this, we are all living this every single day. I went and filled up my car the other day, it was $127. Uh, you know, it's just crazy how much more things are costing Americans in their everyday lives. And so they're, they're urgently asking the administration to address these issues. And the administration continues to not do that. I mean, at first they said, you know, inflation doesn't exist. Then it was temporary, you know, transitory. Then, then, uh, you know, they said, and most recently it's Putin's fault. Uh, that didn't work. So they're not, they're not doing, <laughs> they're not doing what the American people want them to do. They're focused on other issues and, and they're paying a price for that politically. And as I said, unless something changes, it's going to remain that way no matter what happens. Supreme Court pick, you name the different things that have gone on. And the reason it's not going to change is because what they would need to do to address those issues, like increased domestic energy production and, and things of that nature, Biden has shown he's not willing or able to do because it would ignite a, 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 just a rebellion on his left flank. And so he's kind of trapped in a box. Um, and, and it doesn't look like he's going to be getting out of that box anytime soon. And so that's one of the reasons that I think Democrats are really uh, rightfully nervous about what's coming their way in November. Yeah, it seems to me that he's caught uh, a bit, Biden. Uh, he's an old-time, old-line Democrat with some newfangled ideas, uh, with a party that has, as you said, uh, a center that's been decimated, uh, and a left that is energized and even poetic uh, in its uh, ambitions. Uh, AOC talking about we have a problem here. And when she said we have a problem, she was referring to the Democratic leadership's pension, as she put it, for uh, backroom deals, uh, which, as far as I know, this president hasn't even attempted with the Republicans and certainly uh, hasn't uh, been successful with his own party. No, I think that's right. Um, and this is something that's becoming more and more clear. I mean, again, if Biden had had, had sat down, and, the, and we see this reflected in the polls too, where people ask if he's done a, a, a good enough job or, or made good on his promise to, to unite the country. And clearly he hasn't. And he has, I mean, just take COVID for one example, where, you know, during his first year for the first, for the first year of his administration, where he could have sat down with red state governors and said, listen, guys, we've, you know, vaccination rates are low. I need your help. How can we work together to get, you know, you guys are all for vaccinations, but you're not, you're not for the mandate. So how can we work together to, to really boost the, the vaccination levels in your states um, to protect everybody and, and all of that? And that's not what he did. Instead, he went to war against those governors, called them out by name. If you remember, Ron DeSantis, he said, you know, if you don't, get out of my way, I will move you out of the way. And yep. so he chose to be very aggressive and divisive, confrontational. Um, you Bad know, choice there was, with well, DeSantis. Yeah, I mean, you could argue 
that there was another situation. I forget what it was exactly, but it, it came to light that he, I think it was Mitt Romney. He hadn't even talked to Mitt Romney about doing some sort of deal um, on, uh, I think it was, I think it was the, the infrastructure. Um, so he, he hasn't had any sort of any dialogue discussions, negotiations with Republicans. He's had enough trouble just trying to get everybody on his, in his party on the same page. And so um, I think that's another reason that he finds himself in a, in a hole that is of his own making by and large, and, and is going to be very, very difficult to, to climb out of, because as you said, uh, you know, he's got AOC, he's got other folks who, um, there was an, an op-ed in the Hill this morning from, a, you know, the, these wealthy Democratic donors, uh, their answer, their solution is to primary all of the centrist Democrats around the country who, who blocked his agenda, they say. Uh, so they're going to throw in with progressives in places like Texas and other places uh, to try and elect, uh, you know, oust people like Henry Cuellar and, and others. Um, so you really have this rift that's that's being laid bare now, and it's not going to be it's not going to be papered over by November. Yeah, it, it's it is amazing because uh, as somebody said to me, it, it it's almost as though President Biden believes he really did get 81 million votes uh, and and the truth of the matter is uh, he is uh, he's he's governing so ineptly uh, he has most most presidents and the situation he was in when he went to uh over to to poland to to belgium uh, they were they would be giving anything for that opportunity to distract and to deflect and to hold up a shiny foreign policy object uh, for all the world to see he goes in and messes it up like uh, I, I, I like i've never seen a president do i have never seen a president who was so inept in both language and performance and and thought process uh, that he can't dig himself out of a hole he just keeps digging a deeper and deeper hole in in new and novel ways uh and I'm just stunned as I sit here watching, and I will tell you, I don't want the man to succeed in any, any policy that he has put before Congress, uh, because I think they're mad. We're a 30, we have a $30 trillion national debt. We have trillions of dollars in deficits, and we have this, this president putting forth a quote-unquote $5.8 trillion spending blueprint before the Congress. It's just sheer madness. Well, listen, I, I do think in one sense, you know, it shouldn't be surprising. Joe Biden has been in Washington a long time. He has a history of of not being the, the sharpest, uh, most, you know, adroit. Uh, he likes to he likes to talk. <laughs> we know that. Yes, he does. Um but but he often you know puts his foot in his mouth or makes a gaffe or says something and up until now it was like oh that's you know that's that's good old joe yep. um it's it's different and obviously in in orders of magnitude when you're dealing with a, a a crisis the size and scope of what's going on in ukraine where biden can't seem to you know he continues to say things that seem to uh, escalate the situation as opposed to de-escalate the situation, seem to prolong 
the, the prospect of this war as opposed to ending it in short order. Um, and the longer it goes on, the greater chance there might be of some, some catastrophic mishap that gets us into World War III. And, and so I think for that reason, and we saw this in the latest NBC News poll, that's you know, 70 plus percent of people just don't really have any confidence that, that he's up to the task of dealing with uh, this, this kind of situation. Um, so I think that's a, that's, that's a big problem for him. I mean, one of the, one of the, the things that Biden, you know, he made, it, he made a couple promises when he ran for office. One, he's not Trump. He was going to get rid of Trump. He accomplished that. Two, that he was going to unite the country. We already talked about that. He seems to have failed at that uh, as far as the public polling is concerned. And three, that he was going to be, you know, the, the adult in the room, right? That the adults were back in charge. And that was sort of a, a facade that lasted until Afghanistan, even though, you know, he was dealing with a, a border crisis and all of the things that went along with that, Kamala Harris. But when when Afghanistan happened and people saw, oh my gosh, you know what's going on here? This is a this is just a catastrophe. Even as people, I think, by and large, agreed with the the end result of the policy, which was we should be getting out of Afghanistan. You know, they supported that under Trump. They supported it under Biden. But the way that we executed that, the president executed it, was was just so poor that that it really called into question, um, you know, p- people the perception of Biden as this, you know, this adult in the room who had all this vast experience that was, you know, was, was going to be much more, uh, you know, much more prudent than Donald Trump, who was sort of, you know, prone to say anything and, and tweet anything at any moment in time. Uh, that all exploded. And, and he's never recovered from that. It's only gotten worse. And on top of that, I think, you know, what, as, as the Biden administration continued to, to try and assert to the American people, even while they were watching on their TV screens, people falling off of, you know, the, the wheel wells of airplanes, that this was some grand achievement um, that, you know, he lost the trust of voters and, and he's never recovered that either. And so you've got this sort of perfect storm working against him. And even now, I mean, as he gets up there and says, uh, you know, of course I didn't call for, for regime change when, he clearly did just two days earlier. Um, they have this credibility gap now that has emerged, uh, and and it's 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 making things worse. Yeah, he continues to lie, and to and and the the the, the silliest uh, and most transparent of lies. Uh, uh, you're talking about when when he was in Warsaw, uh, telling the 82nd Airborne. Uh, that they would soon see what courage looks like on the part of the Ukrainian people when they meet them in the streets, and then tries to deny that, uh, tries to deny that he said uh, that this man uh, does not belong uh, in in office, referring to Putin, uh, that he should be removed from power, uh, and then denies it. It's, It's one thing to have made the blunder, but he's no longer a sympathetic bozo. He is now a dangerous clown, and that is a deeply, deeply difficult position for the entire uh, uh, Democratic Party and indeed for the for the nation, most importantly. Your thoughts? I, I do think, again, because of, you know, Biden could get away with some of the stuff when when the stakes were lower. Um and Afghanistan, though, was a was another. That was a 
that was a pretty high stakes event. And, and that was really when I think people, um, you know, go back to the border for a second, because this is something that existed from the get go, right? Mm -hmm. This was a problem. And the Biden administration, you know, denied that it was a crisis. They wouldn't use that word. Um, You know, Biden was asked if it was a crisis and he said, no, of course not. And, and that was clearly not true. Um, But it was something that, you know, the stakes weren't high enough. And and I think in the media's eyes and and in many people's eyes that that didn't really cause that big of a a ripple against him. It certainly didn't dent his numbers. Um, But when it came to Afghanistan, uh, 13 American soldiers killed uh, as a result of that policy. And the administration, again, trying to trying to convince the American people, assert to them that, that this was some huge victory and, and massive success uh, was, was so at odds with the truth that it, it, it all came crumbling down. Um, and I think, again, in this environment where we, we are in a sort of high stakes global conflict, uh, for Biden to be over there saying things and then coming back and asserting that none of them ever happened, uh, as he did yesterday when Peter Ducey went through the list and he just said, none of those three things happened. It's just the way you're interpreting the language. Um, it just doesn't really, it doesn't fly with the American people. He doesn't have the, he doesn't no longer has any sort of reservoir of, of goodwill or trust with the American people. Um, and again, you know, Democrats still think he's great, doing a great job. Uh, Republicans still think he's terrible. And they've thought that from the very beginning where he's lost ground most obviously is with independents. And that's no small thing because independents are going to, uh, are going to determine, I think the outcome of this election in a big way in a lot of these swing States. And, and right now, you know, he's in the, he's in the thirties. He's even been in the twenties with independents, uh, their job approval rating. So it's a, it's a pretty serious situation for the president because he, he just doesn't have the credibility um, and once that's gone, I mean, it doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't come back. It, the economy may turn around, but, but people won't trust him again. Yeah, there's, there's no resurrection awaiting uh, a president uh, who is so transparently lying. I mean, the American people, we're used to politicians. Uh, we know they lie, uh, but we're used to a higher class of liar. Uh, one who can be inventive and, uh, and at least pretend to be authentic. <laughs> Uh, This man is uh, none of the above. Uh, We much prefer a straightforward fellow like Donald Trump, uh, who who came at you just exactly. I mean, he was the fellow you, uh, the fellow you saw on television was the fellow that was uh, sitting there, uh, you know, on the uh, on the bench talking too. Uh, it's a whole new world that we've uh, seen invented here over the course, it seems to me, just since the first of the year. Uh, we're looking at uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, it's unclear where he's going. There is greater clarity about the relationship now between communist China and communist uh, Russia. They're both totalitarian countries. They now have a strategic partnership, and we know that they have mutual, uh, mutual aims uh, and uh, now have a relationship that should strike some concern in the, in the hearts and minds of our, our Pentagon uh, as they start thinking about how to defend this great old constitutional republic of ours. And then we find out they don't have contingency plans for an outbreak of war in Ukraine. 
uh, it's very strange to see a a military now that has been politicized at the top, uh, that is uh, inadequate to the challenges uh, that are coming at them technologically. I'm referring now to the hypersonic missile gap. Uh, It feels like the the early 60s all over again. Uh, And we are behind both communist China and Russia. What is going on in the nation's capital? Hmm. Yeah, well, there definitely is uh, a sense that things have, um, particularly within the Pentagon, uh, have gone a bit sideways um, with regard to some of the woke stuff. But I also think the problem is it's, you know, when you look at Ukraine, just just as an example, mm-hmm. um, I- I'm shocked at the the number of comments, whether it's coming from Republicans, Lindsey Graham calling for assassination, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, to Joe Biden calling Putin a, a butcher and a war criminal. Um, and people say, well, that's true. Well, even if it is true, right? That doesn't mean you say it out loud, particularly if it doesn't serve your strategic interests. And what are our strategic interests? Should be ending the war as soon as possible, not trying to prolong it unless Unless, and this is the this is the real problem. I think for forty years we've had this idea in Washington that uh, you know regime change is is a good thing. It's something that we should pursue. We pursued it with Saddam Hussein, and and you see now folks saying you know this is our this should be our goal or this is our goal um, with with Vladimir Putin, and and for some reason um, that that is now ingrained in our I, I think partly at the Pentagon, certainly at the State Department, uh, and within Congress and, and this administration, uh, it's become, it's become uh, I think, the, the prevailing view. And, and unfortunately, and you have some of the same characters that every time a situation like this comes around, they are out in front cheering for, for America to sort of get involved uh, in, you know, in a, a conflict. And that's not where the public is anymore. I mean, we've spent 20 years in Afghanistan. We, you know, the public wanted to get out of Afghanistan. Um, And I don't think there is any appetite for that. I think the administration knows that in their, in their heart of hearts, even, and you can see they've resisted a call for no fly zones, but again, then Biden turns around the next day and calls Putin a war criminal. Um, So I think there's a, I think there's that that conflict between what the public wants. They want they want our leaders to be, you know, stay away from conflicts overseas and try and focus on fixing the stuff that needs fixing here at home. Um, but whenever, but but that's not necessarily where uh, you know the administration is or or members of Congress. And it's been a problem for it's been a problem for decades now. Yeah, I, I think again, uh, that's exactly right. And and it's also. Uh, an interesting way to sort of look at the architecture of the last uh, 20 years. The, the Democrats uh, have uh, been operating, particularly since the Obama administration, uh, with this uh, sort of uh, assumed moral superiority. Uh, somehow uh, the left would be the arbiter of what is racist, what is uh, uh, xenophobic, uh, whatever the you know the slur of the moment would be, and they use that politically, but now people are realizing 
you know, the left isn't nearly as smart as they act and not nearly as smart as they want you to think they are. And they lack both intelligence and effectiveness in governance. And therefore, why are we listening to these people about really important issues like the education of our children, like the direction of our military uh, and the way in which we conduct diplomacy? And this raises tremendous, tremendous, uh, requires a tremendous suspension of belief on the part of the American people when they see the empirical result of their governance and their nonsense that they spew and, and prattle on about, uh, whether it's CRT, whether it's ESG, whether you, you name it, uh, it's one hackneyed, silly proposition after another being funded by corporate America which buys into Marxist leftist nonsense. BLM is uh, an example of uh, an organization that wouldn't have existed without their largesse and, and really ignorant largesse. So I think the Republicans have a, a great electoral opportunity, uh, but first, how do they prevent another electoral assassination uh, of, a, of a candidate? President Trump was electorally assassinated in 2020. And we have to change the, we have to restore the integrity of our electoral system, don't you think? Well, I will say that the, the common thread through your comments there is that there has been a, a and this is again, something that's been going on for, for a number of years. This is not something that started with Donald Trump or even right. Barack Obama. A loss of trust in institutions and, and Gallup has tracked this stuff since some of it since the 1970s. Um, you go back and look, I mean, whether it's, you know, the education system, whether it's, you know, uh, big business or banks or certainly the TV news, um, you know, media, um, the church. I mean, every public institution in this country has suffered a loss of trust over the last 30 or 40 years, and it's becoming I think to your point, Lou, uh, there there's also this this distrust now in in this particular moment of of elites who who yes. uh, you know we trusted elites for a long time in this country and and I think after 20, 30, 40 years of of trusting them and going along and watching as as one example, uh, you know American uh, manufacturing and some of these Rust Belt communities get hollowed out. Uh, over the course of a generation or two, um, no longer blindly go along with the orthodoxy that you know this this uh, this uh, you know global um, integration is somehow an unfettered good for for America and America's workers. Um, right. So we've seen that across the board, and and it's it's troublesome because it it rips at our social fabric when you can't trust institutions that that. You look around you and everywhere you see, you see institutions failing you, you see elites failing you. Um, it adds to, I think, this feeling that, uh, that number one, your government and your elected officials are disconnected from you on an everyday basis. They're not, they don't know, you know what, your, what your problems are. They don't care about them. Uh, they're, they're off in Washington doing something completely disconnected from that. Um, and it adds to this general sense of anxiety that the country is uh, you know, when we see this in, in various polls, that it's not heading in the right direction, that the American dream is, is dead, that the next generation is going to, you know, have a, a less, a lower standard of living um, and not have access to the American dream like previous generations did. I mean, those are, 
Those are significant, profound changes in the psyche of the American people. And, um, and again, you know, I don't know how you reverse those trends. Um, it's going to take, to your point, it's going to take a reckoning. It's going to take a remarkable figure, uh, political figure that somehow, I don't even know if this person exists, but who would be unifying in a way that other people have been, again, divisive. Uh, so I don't know, maybe that's a unicorn and a fairy tale, um, but it, but the current trends are not going in the right direction. And, uh, and it's troublesome because, uh, you know, when people don't trust their institutions, when they don't trust their leaders, bad things happen. And we're learning uh, that first elections do have consequences, but so does policy. Uh, and when you have the two uh, uh, grotesquely uh, executed, the result is, uh, is really uh, a shambles uh, to behold. Uh, Tom, we always give our guests the last word, and I would like it very much if uh, you could give our concluding thoughts here today. Well, I mean, going back to the, what we started with, Lou, I mean, I think that, you know, we're seven months away from an election. It is going to be, I think, a very consequential election in terms of I mean, both the House and the Senate are up for grabs. And and if you think about, uh, you know, moving into into the next presidential election, you think about where this administration has, has been the first two years, where they're going to be able to go the next two years, um, having Republicans in control of of the House and or the Senate, it's, it's you know, a completely different path. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, I think uh, right now, historically speaking, Republicans are in a very good position to win both the House and the Senate, unless and until uh, the Biden administration makes some sort of change in their, in their policies and re really realigns itself with where the American people are uh, in terms of dealing with the issues back at home, inflation, uh, jobs in the economy. And those are the, that's the ball game. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, has been really interesting to watch is the inroads that Republicans have made with Hispanic voters in places like South Texas um, and, and working class voters all across the country. I mean, the Republicans have really become the party of the working class. And, and that is almost entirely attributable to what Donald Trump did during his time in office um, and really changing the face of the Republican Party. Um, and it, as you said, it's, it, it's become more class-based than, than race-based, right? Hispanic exactly. voters, uh, African-American voters. Uh, if you're working class, you look at the two parties and you think the Republicans uh, are more aligned with your interests right now than the Democrats are because they're off talking about, as we've mentioned, you know, uh, you know CRT and fighting culture wars. Meanwhile, in your everyday life, gas is $6 a gallon and you got to pay $10 for a pound of bacon. I mean, so uh, we'll see what happens, but, but I think right now um, it's shaping up to be a good year for, for Republicans and that will make the next two years and even the next presidential uh, have real consequences for the, for the next two years and, and the coming uh, 2024 race. Tom Babbitt, thanks for being with us. Really enjoyed talking with you. And uh, again, I, I think that this election is, it is going to be something to behold. We'll be uh, reading RCP throughout. Uh, and I want to congratulate you on a tremendous uh, business, entrepreneurial 
uh, success that is RCP. Uh, you've created an essential, uh, an essential uh, product for the public. Uh, and anyone who's interested in politics has to go there. Uh, I, I guess that's is the ultimate test of value. Uh, is uh, how many uh, how many people strive uh, to uh, to get there every day, and uh, most Americans, I, I think, maybe not most, but most uh, people interested in politics do. I want to congratulate you for that and for the editorial content. Uh, it's uh, unmatched. So, Tom well, thank Bevan, you. thank you, Lou. Appreciate it. You betcha. Thank you, Tom Bevan, Real Clear Politics Executive Editor. A programming note, President Donald Trump will be our special guest here Tuesday, April 5th, right here on The Great America Show. Please be with us for that. I know you don't want to miss that. It'll be a lot of fun. And tomorrow, we're joined by John McLaughlin, Republican strategist and pollster. He'll be here with his latest reading on the American people, the latest presidential approval ratings, all with his insight into this critical election year. So please be with us here tomorrow. And until then, God bless you and God bless America.